Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Children are here today. Come on forward for a word of prayer. We're going to dismiss you to Children's Church. And next uh, next Sunday, Children's Choir will begin again, correct? All right, so we'll have Children's Church and Children's Choir for you. So come on up here. Good to have all of you here with us today. Okay, so listen, you know, one of the things I always think about, we've been singing about our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, Jesus Christ one time was your age. You know that? How old are you guys? How old are you? Seven, okay, at least today. What, how old? You forgot? Ten, okay. Anybody older than ten? Alright. Two days she'll be eleven, okay. So, and you're already eleven. So one time Jesus was eleven years old, one time he was ten years old, come on down, one time he was eight years old and five years old. Let me ask you a question. Do you think, hi, come on down. Do you think that Jesus ever got angry? You guys are awful quiet today. Well, I guess that's good news for children's church leaders, right? <laughs> you think Jesus ever got mad? Hmm? Uh, maybe. Oh, that means maybe. Okay. Well, you know what? At least as an adult, there are a few times in the Bible we find out he did get angry. One of the times, the people were bringing children, like babies, little ones, maybe younger than you. They were bringing them to Jesus. And the disciples, it was a busy day, there were crowds of people around, and there was so much going on, the disciples decided to go on guard duty, and they said, no, 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 he's too busy today, don't don't bring him, he's too busy. Bring little guys like Liam, you know, over here to see Jesus and stuff. Nope, too busy. And you know what it says? Jesus was angry, he was indignant, it was about the strongest word that could be used. And he said to his disciples, don't you dare ever Tell them not to bring the children to me. To such belong the kingdom of God because of the simplicity of their faith. And that is why it's so important in the church family that you are here today, the children, because even our Lord Jesus Christ said, it is your faith and it's your belief in God and your trust in God that are example to so many others. And we are so glad you are here today with us, especially today. I'm glad you're here today. And so we want to ask God's blessing on you. Okay? Heavenly Father, we lift up these young ones to you and we pray your hand of blessing and care and love upon them. And Father, we know that they have friends that we will never meet friends their age, that we will never meet, but they see all the time. And that they can be an example of your love, your mercy, and how much you care for them. And we pray for them this week as they do that, that you will bless them in a mighty, mighty way. Be with them now as they continue to learn, to worship, and to praise you. In Christ's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. God bless you guys, okay? Have a good time together in Children's Church. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming, everybody. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We've been studying the book of Jonah together. The prophet Jonah. 
And today we are going to finish Jonah. The fourth chapter has worked out well for four Sundays. And if you have not been with us, I can't really review the whole book today. You may know the story. It's a pretty simple synopsis. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against that city. Jonah instead goes the opposite direction, as far away as he can get from God. I'm not going to that city. God sends a storm, and Jonah and the sailors are about to be destroyed. And Jonah finally confesses, it's me. Throw me in the water, and the storm will stop. They reluctantly do so. They throw him in the water, and God sends a great fish who swallows Jonah. The storm stops. The men are saved. They go back and offer sacrifices to the one true God. Jonah is in the fish for three days and brings this wonderful psalm of redemption out from the fish. And we have that in chapter 2. Jonah then is spewed up, or we may say vomited, (laughs) onto the ground, packed by Yaffa probably, in the coast of Palestine. God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against that city. This time Jonah goes. Goes to Nineveh. And he preaches to that city a very simple message. At least in the scriptures, he doesn't even mention confession or ch- He just says, 40 days and this place is going to be overthrown. 40 days. And there's this huge mass repentance of this people who are known for their violence. They're, they're, they're terrorists when they, how they, how they, when they conquered other people, what they did to them. We have record of it. They left records themselves. They were a violent people. And uh, at least the leaders in the, in the military and so forth when they went to battle. But they repented. They put on sackcloth, even the animals. And they repented. And then we ended last week at chapter 3. And we didn't actually read this verse because I wanted to go with today. This, is, this, this could be the end of the story. Chapter 3, verse 10. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. End of story. Jonah goes home praising God, leaking ahead to the book of Romans, all things work together for good, it all worked out, praise the Lord, um, and the story ends. That would be nice, right? But that's not how the story ends. So, the, the Bible originally was written to be read, you know, in the, in the original settings, both Old and New Testament, it was an oral tradition, and it was, it was written to be read. So can I read this last chapter to you? And if you have the NIV, you're welcome to follow along, or you can just listen to the narrative of this account. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out, sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine 
made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That's it. No answer. No response. No happily ever after. Nothing else about Jonah. The story ends. I mean, isn't this the strangest ending to a book in the Bible, really? That's it. And we're left to ponder. And we're left, maybe, what are your thoughts about Jonah? If we were in a classroom setting, I'd break you up into groups of three or four people. And have you talk about, come on now, be honest. What do you think, what do you, what do you go away with about Jonah? What do you go away with about Jonah? A failure? Disobedient? Tried to run from God? Hypocritical because when God provided a fish to save him, we have this glorious psalm of God's salvation and grace and mercy and praise and I will give to you what I have pledged. And then it completely flips and he ends up saying, I'm angry, God, you save these people. Kill me. Three times he's asked basically to die in this, in this four chapters. I mean, what do you, what do you think about, what, you think about the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Obadiah, Micah. Think about the prophets. You know, Moses was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. What do you, what do you think about them compared to Jonah? We kind of put Jonah in a little bit different category, like, um, that's probably not our favorite prophet, <laughs> the way the story ends. Well, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for letting me uh, preach through Jonah. Uh, you come, you don't have to come, you know, and we come here to worship, and the message is part of the worship to God, and this is the first time I've preached through Jonah. And... Um, I'll give you a little uh, spoiler. Uh, my opinion of Jonah has changed. Uh, my opinion of Jonah has changed. But let's look at this real quickly, this narrative that we just read. To say that Jonah was not happy is like the biggest understatement of the wor- of, in the world. He is indignant. Like I told the children, that was the strongest word Jesus could use. He was indignant with the disciples for telling him not to bring the children to him. Jonah, in the Hebrew, he is angry and indignant. You notice it says, greatly displeased. That's too soft. I don't know how she say it, but he is, you know, he is raving mad. He is hot. That's really what the word anger, when it says that he became angry, it's the word in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for that has to do with heat, hot. That's why we say, boy, that person's really hot about this, right? 
He was angry. He was hot. It's the same word used in Nehemiah when Nehemiah comes before the, the Lord and, and he was angry with the people for their sin, what they had did, what they had done. But Jonah says, and he tells us why he's angry. He, he tells us. In fact, he hated what God had done. It was in the, in the, in the Hebrew again, it says it was evil to him. It was a disaster. It was a great disaster. He is burning with anger. This word burning in 3941, 44, 49A, 49B keeps showing up. He is angry. And he tells us exactly why he is angry. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, verse 2, he says to them uh, at the end of it, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew this. And I knew you were slow to anger and you're abounding in love and a God who relents, who changes his mind. A God who changes his mind from sending calamity. What is he saying? He says, God, I know, I know you. I knew you would do this. And I knew if I went to Nineveh and preached to them, and they repented, I knew you would do this. I know you. I know you. And I know what you would do. And I know you're a God who changes your mind sometimes. So that's a hard one for us, right? Because God knows everything. And we're going to have to leave it there. But we'll see this in the Bible. That God relents of something He was going to do. Even in His sovereignty. And Jonah says, I knew that. And I hate that. I knew you would do this. And these people don't deserve this. And this does not fit with what you have said elsewhere in the Bible. I knew this. I know that people are supposed to be judged. I know that... And and then he quotes... And I want you to go back to this. Because this is a, a, a confession of Israel. This is one of Israel's confessions, if you will. One of their creeds. You know, we have the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. This is one of Israel's creeds. Look at Exodus chapter 34. I'd like you to go there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 34. Because this, this, and this comes at a critical point in Israel's story. The story is they have, they've come to Mount Sinai. And while Moses is up there receiving the laws, the people down below, Gary spoke of this a few weeks ago, the people down below are, are, are turning to Aaron and saying, make us an idol. We don't know what happened to Moses, but we need to worship something. Make us an idol. And they make this idol, this, this, this golden calf. And Moses hears the cheering and the, and the worshiping and the dancing and the yelling down below. And, and, and God says, that, that's not, <laughs> that's not what you think it is. It is the sound of idolatry. And God says to, and God says to Moses, He, he says to him in, in, in chapter 32, in chapter 32, you go back a few verses, and in verse 9, he says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Leave me alone, that my anger, hot, that my anger, same word, may burn against them, and I may destroy them, and I will make you into a great nation. Stand back, Moses. Get out of the way. I'm about to destroy this people. Watch. And Moses steps in. And says, God, don't do this. Would you do that? Moses steps in and says, God, don't do this. I want to, don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do this. 
What's going to happen? What are the other people going to say? That they said, oh, that God couldn't protect His people. Look at He destroyed them. What's the, Your name is, don't do this, God. And God relents. And He says, Moses, I won't do it. There will be those who suffer and punishment for what they've done, but I'm not going to destroy this people. In fact, he even said, Moses, I'm going to make a new nation out of you. Boy, how many people would turn that down? How many leaders today do you know of would turn that one down? And God, he says, don't do it, God. I don't want a new nation for me. Your name is more important. And God relents. It's okay, I'm not going to do it. And it's in this context that we read the scripture this morning that, that God says, Moses, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you something. And we see in, in, in chapter 34, that, that Moses makes the new tablets. And then the Lord does come by. And in verse 5, he comes, he comes to visit Moses. And the Lord came down in the cloud. He stood there and he proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Y-H-W-H, however it was pronounced without the vowels. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, quote, The Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then Moses bows down and says, Lord, you got to go with us. God says, I'm not going with you. He goes, Moses, if you don't go with us, I'm not going And it's this confession of Israel that is repeated seven times in the Old Testament. This confession of Israel that Jonah calls upon in chapter 4 and says, God, I knew you because I know what you did. And I've seen it in your story and I've seen it in our story that at the time when Israel should have paid for that sin, I mean, and God was going to destroy them, their wickedness and rebellion. But he said, I know what happened. And this confession that Israel was given, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He says, I know that about you. And in fact, in that, in, in that, in that sentence there, the word for gracious, the adjectives for gracious and merciful are only used of God in the Old Testament. They are, they are reserved to describe God. Gracious and merciful. And back to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah says, see, I told you. I knew it. I knew it. And that is why I left. And I am angry. I am angry. And I think the key that was changed my mind about Jonah is this interaction. And the Lord says, have you got a right to be angry? He and Jonah are talking. I don't know what he's seeing. I don't know how he's hearing it, but he's hearing it. And God says, Jonah, you have a right to be angry. And then, but, but Jonah doesn't answer. You notice that? He just he says, he goes out, and I think this is the con. There's some question whether this is a flashback or not, but I think this is the narrative. I think it's in order. Jonah goes out, sits down. He came in from the west, he preached his message day one in a three-day city. And on day one, the whole city repents. And he already, he already figures out God's not going to destroy them. He goes out the east. He comes in the west, preaches, goes out the east, goes up and sits on the hill. 
and to see of what's going to happen to Nineveh. God hasn't said yet, they're, they're, he hasn't told Joni yet, I'm done, they're, they're okay. So he goes out there to sit there, and he's going to watch, and he's going to wait and see what happens to Nineveh. And he goes out there, and he sits there. Jonah was not slow to angry, but God was. And we have the same wording here about Jonah, when God says that you displease, and Jonah says basically like Elijah, I'm the only one. Remember Elijah said, I'm the only one left. Take my life. Jonah says, take my life. Three times in the book of Jonah, he offers to die, right? First time when they throw him over the, he was supposed to drown. I mean, there was no chance he was going to survive that, but it, he'd rather do that than see Nineveh repent. And now that he looks like Nineveh is repenting, he tells God, I want to die. And then he says here again, when he sits out under this shade and, and, and he goes out there. And you notice in verse 5 that he makes himself a shelter, but it must not have been too good because he sat there in the shade to see what happened to the city. And the Lord provided a vine. Here's another miracle in the book of Jonah. Everybody focuses on the fish. Here's another miracle. This vine grows up overnight big enough to grow up and go over and to shade Jonah. His shelter wasn't quite going to do it, see? And so God provides this shade. This is the Middle East. This is Nineveh. This is modern day Iraq. You know how hot it is in Iraq today? Huh? You don't. I don't either, but I can guarantee it's hotter than this, okay? And he's out there, he's, he's looking over the city. And this thing grows up and it says, Jonah was, he got some relief from his discomfort. He's burning. He's hot another way now. And, 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 he's, and, he's, and he's thankful. And he's, it says he's happy. The first time we've seen Jonah happy, right? Other than the psalm he gave, but he's, he's, he's happy for what's happening to him. He's waiting to see what God's going to do. And the next day, God provides a worm. You notice that everything that happens in the story, God provides. God provided the storm. God provided the fish. God provided the shade. And now God provides a worm to destroy the shade. What is this book about? This book is about God. Jonah is not the focus. God is. And he provides this worm. And this worm chewed the vine and it withers. At dawn the next day, his shade is gone. And just just like that, in the morning he, he wakes up and that dawn, this, this worm, whatever it is, has destroyed his shade. And in verse 8, when the sun rose again, God provided a scorching shrockle. Remember the car, the shrockle? Uh, anybody remember that? This east wind. And this wind that was hot. I mean, it's hot enough already. And now here comes this wind that is blazing on his head. He grows faint. And again, Jonah wants to die. And he says, it would be better for me just, God, it would be better if I just died. I would, it would be better if I just died. What would have caused Jonah, what would have caused God pain, makes Jonah furious. You notice how this story ends. God asked him again, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? This time Jonah answers, yes, I do. I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. He keeps wanting to die. You know. Why doesn't God just kill him? I mean, other people have died in the Old Testament for their disobedience. 
Yes, I'm angry enough. I'm angry enough to die. And then God ends with this question. You have concerned about the vine. You did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left as well as the cattle. Shouldn't I be concerned about that? 120,000 people, there's a lot of debate about what this means. Probably the most common is he's talking about children under the age of accountability, right? Liam's, the preschool kids, the four-year-olds, maybe the ones that haven't reached the cage of accountability, 120,000 of them. If that's true, then that tells you how many people live in this metropolitan area. you got to remember in the old world like this, not everybody lived in the city. They came into the city when they needed protection. So if, if this is the city as well as the outlying area, if that's true, you're talking about half a million people. The other option is he's talking about these people who have no moral understanding. They have no understanding of the one true God and, and what he expects of them. There's argument both ways. We'll have to, I'm going to leave it there. You can think about that. At the minimum, it's 120,000 people, whatever. But isn't it interesting? He, he throws in the cattle. Does God care about the cattle? Have you ever thought about that? Does God care about the cattle and the horses? But he says so. He says, Jonah, shouldn't I even be concerned about the myriads of animals in that city? Isn't it right? Shouldn't I be concerned about them? And Jonah does not answer. Jonah was a little out of tune with God at this point. You know, out of tune, you know, you hear something out of tune and you know it's, it's kind of not you musicians, you know, you, you, you tune, you hear, right? You get it, you know. You can tell when it's just not quite in tune. It might be close enough for jazz, right? <laughs> you might have heard that. But if they get up here and play, it's not. All right? It can be painful. So fortunately, we have good musicians, and they, and they have that ear of the tune. Jonah's a little out of tune here. He's a little out of tune with God. And God says, shouldn't I be concerned about these people? It reminds you of the prodigal son who came back mad because God, because the Father welcomed back the Son and embraced Him and said, hey, I've been here, what am I? I've been here all along and I never got any party, right? And the Father says, you're my Son. Everything I have is yours. He's spent His, but He's my Son too. He's back. Shouldn't I love Him? Shouldn't I care for Him? Not John. He just, He wants to keep dying. What right do you have is the key to this book. Let me quote from one of the commentators, Bruckner, that I studied this week. Jonah has had enough of Yahweh's grace, compassion, slowness to anger, love, and relenting toward the wicked. He wants no part of this dangerous game. Therefore, he says, in verse 3, Lord, take my life away. It's better for me than to die, than to live. Last week I asked you, our title last week was, Who Knows? Right? The king of Nineveh says, Who knows what God's going to do? Who, who knows? Well, you know what? Jonah knew. That's what he says. Jonah knows. He could have told the king, I know, I know what he's going to do because he's gracious, compassionate, 
slow to anger, and he relents. But there's a conflict here. See, what I'm going to suggest to you, my, my, my thoughts on Jonah have changed quite a bit. I, I'm going to put Jonah up there in that category with those great men and women of the Old Testament who were really intimate with God. He knew God so well. He was so intimate with God that there was never a doubt in his mind what God was going to do. I mean, you have, you have to know God to do that, right? You, you have to be close to God. And, and for God to, dis, to have this discussion with Jonah, I'm going to use the word as two personas. This is a discussion like two people would have. And God, God's willing to do that. God's willing to have this discussion with Jonah. Jonah, are you, are you okay with this? Jonah, isn't it right for me to feel this way? Come on, answer me, Jonah. He doesn't rise up from the whirlwind like with Job. He, he, he has this discussion. I think Jonah was so intimate with God and so close to God. And he was so conflicted. Because look at He says, I knew you were going to do this, but he also knows this. I'm asking you to, 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 you can listen if you want, but you can turn to Numbers 23 and verse 11, because we have this as well. I mean, this is what the Bible says. Uh, what did I say? Numbers 23, 11. And that's too bad because that's not what I want. Okay. And this is really important because it's the passage that says, and one of you will find it real quick and tell me, the passage that, that, that says that, oh, there it is, 19. Okay. 19, verse 19. God is not a man, 23, 19, that he should lie, nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. I mean, that is a theological truth that Jonah knows. That God is not like us, and He should not change His mind. Does He speak and then not act? Does He promise and not fulfill? He is a God, when He speaks, He does not change His mind. And we see this again in the Bible. We see it more than once, but we see this also in First Samuel. In chapter 15, let's see if I type this one right. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 29. He who is the, he who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Now that, friends, is a theological dogma. God is God and does not change his mind, and yet, Jonah says, God, I know you, and I know you change your mind when it comes to your love, mercy, and grace. And Jonah is stuck in this, who knows God so well. He knows this dilemma. He knows this theological problem. And he knows what's going to win. What does it mean to know God? Jonah was so conflicted. And you know the amazing thing to me is how God talks to Jonah. He never yells at him. He never upbraids him really other than asking some pointed questions. He allows Jonah to discuss with him, to rant at him 
I said, Jonah, is this okay? Is this really okay that I don't care about all these people? Now let me ask you, how did we get the book of Jonah? Who knew this story? Who knew this whole story? Who was sitting there with Jonah under the shelter? Who was in the fish with Jonah? Who was there when Jonah got mad at God and said, just kill me, I knew you were going to do this because I know this conflict. Nobody. Jonah told this story. How else we have it? Either he gave it to someone and they wrote it down, or he wrote it down. It's called the book of Jonah. He finished and he told the story. Because he was so intimate with God, he knew he had to tell this story. There's a Jewish tradition, the Targum, which is a commentary, translation, the Targum Yonah. We well, don't know if there's no Hebrew to know what that is, right? Because the J and the, this really a dud, there's no J in Hebrew. The Targum Yonah, it concludes the book like this. This is not in any of the Hebrew manuscripts, and it shouldn't be. But how do you end this story? At the moment, he, at the end of the story, at the moment he fell upon his face and said, guide your world by the attributes of mercy as it is written, to the Lord God belong mercy and forgiveness. The Yonah Targum. But that's not how it ended. But he told the story. My attitude toward Jonah is, thanks for letting me preach this book. I have a whole look at Jonah. God would not allow anybody but someone who was really close to him to have this kind of discussion. And it, it kind of raises a question. What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to know God, to know Christ? What does it mean? What the, what the world sometimes sees when they look at us is dogmas and certainties. We know for sure about God. We know for sure what God is going to do. We know for sure what God's obligated to do. And yet God tells us in Deuteronomy 29.29, the revealed things belong to you, the secret things belong to me. I haven't told you everything. You wouldn't know if I did. But as Christian people, friends, we are on a journey and we are every day getting to know God. What does that mean? Does that not sometimes mean that things don't always happen the way they're supposed to happen? Does that not mean that we have to allow a little bit of flexibility maybe? That God is not always bound by our interpretation? Yes, God can say, I am not like man. I do not change my mind. And then God could say, I'm a God of mercy and grace and I relent and change and don't do what I said I was going to do. Isn't that part of getting to know God? To get to know God intimately. Isn't it true what John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes.
Isn't the love of God something wonderful? It doesn't work out the way we always want it to. That wasn't supposed to happen yesterday on our church yesterday. What's supposed to happen, right, is, wow, that was close, but I'm glad that didn't happen. Who knows? We have to trust God. And as it said in the Old Testament, even though he slay me, Job says, even though he slay me, I'm going to trust him. Who knows? Jonah knew. Jonah knew. And only a man who was close to God could know that about God. And as I read this, let me close with this. My interpretive reading of this is, in verse 3, after he says, I know what you would do. Now, O Lord, take my life, take it away, for it's better for me to die than to live. And then in verse 8, it would be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, do you have enough? you have a right to be angry about the vine? <sighs> I do. And I'm angry enough to die. You win, God. <laughs> I knew you. You did it. And I know, and yes, I want to die. And God just says, Jonah, come on. Isn't this okay for me to feel this way? You don't have to know everything. Who knows? Jonah knew. Who knows? Do you know? Do I know? Ultimately, God knows. And that's what matters. Father, we have come today in your name, as we have just sung, and we leave in your name. Names are important. We have names. We have family names. And those family names connect us to a story, to a family. And we are connected to you, to your story. And Father, we, we just humbly thank you today. I thank you today that you have allowed us and invited us to walk with you and each day to get to know you better. Not to figure you out, but to get to know you better. What a privilege. And Lord, it's that understanding of you and what you have done for us that should permeate our lives so that others may know and may live. May we be faithful to that call this week and we walk with you as we return next week. Might we say we, we know you better and might we live in such a way that others will see how much you love them and that they are invited to receive your forgiveness and love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.